0: Could have used that piano while we were singing. Okay. Anyway, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to to the uh, First Timothy chapter two, and then we'll be back in here studying this tonight. Tonight, I want to preach. Uh, I titled the sermon "The Woman's Place in the Church," and I know that as I say that, it's not it's not the question mark. What is the woman's place in the church? It is here. Is the woman's place in the church? This is her role. This is her duties. And I know that as I'm preaching this tonight. That this is a controversial text. This is a, And it really wasn't controversial until about the 1960s. Up till the 1960s, this was what it is. It was a very simple, straightforward, clear text telling the women their role within the church. And then you had a, a feminist movement in, in the 1960s that that uh, brought about a lot of controversy. Where they started questioning what this passage said, but I really don't think it's controversial at all. I think it's very clear. I think it's very straightforward. I think it says what it says. I don't think it's hard at all. I think it's just hard for many people. People who hear this to accept it. That's the problem. It's not hard to understand. It's hard for many people to swallow. So we're going to preach it tonight. I think it's important for us to understand this. I'm not doing this as I preach this. I won't apologize for what it says. It says what it says. And I'm not going to also hammer on the people who don't believe this, on women preachers. I think this is a passage that's good for us. This is this is a passage that God wants us to hear. He wants our churches to be uh, what it should be, to be a God-honoring, God-orderly church. And this is one way that we can do that. This is what God wants for His church. This is what God wants, the role for a man and the role for a woman. So we're going to put us in our place. And tonight I want to show you the the woman's place in the church. So uh, let's stand together and I'm going to read starting in verse 8 and go through verse 15. The woman's place in the church. And there's a big section here that he talks about women, and I could have done three different sermons on this, but I thought, let's get it out of the way in one big fell swoop, get it all out of the way. So let's start in verse 8, because I think it connects. We've already studied what verse 8 says, so let's just, let's get it in context. Starting in verse 8, it says, I will therefore, so this is a command for men, that men pray, pray everywhere. And that word everywhere would be in in all churches. This is not one church, one setting, one context. This is in all churches. That men pray everywhere, lifting up hands, holy hands, without wrath and doubting. And then it says, in like manner, so in the same way, also that women. So here's the the woman's role. Men, you pray. And women, you, and here he's going to tell us. In like manner also that women, adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, Not with braided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly array, but that which becometh women professing godliness with good works. And then let women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not, I permit not, I allow not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Here's why. For Adam was first formed, and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. But notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So here it is in just a handful of verses, the woman's role in the church, the woman's place in the church. So let's pray together and we'll do our best to to see what this says. I think I could read it just like that, sit down, and it would still be controversial to some people, but it says what it says. We're going to let God's word speak to our hearts. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word, every single bit of your word. This is good for us. I'm not ashamed of what this says. I think this is gracious and godly that you've given us the roles that each one of us should play. So I'm going to teach it as if it is the best thing for women to be in their role. Because it is is the best thing. And it's the best thing for men to be in their role. In those ways, as men are doing the man's job and women are doing the woman's job, the church functions the way you'd have us to, to function. So God, let us put ourselves in in the right place tonight. Men in their place and women in their place. And I think that would be a God-honoring church. So God, help us to understand this tonight. Help us to receive it tonight. Let us have ears to hear what your word says to us tonight. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you be seated. I know as I ask this question, what is the woman's place in the church, that it, it, I'm asking for trouble. I'm asking for begging for somebody to say something to me about me being a, a, a sexist or something along those lines. But it is a question that we need to ask. What is the woman's, and I, I've said that, what is the man's role and what is the woman's role in the church? But tonight we're asking what is the woman's role in the church? What is her place within the church? And, 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 I'm, and we could ask it even further, not just the church, but what is the woman's place in, in the home or in society? And, and it brings furious debate for me to even bring this up. Even amongst Christians, this is a, a battleground where people fight over this. What is the woman's place or the woman's role within the church? And I think there's only really two options that are available to us. I'll give them both to you. Uh, Number one, our options are what's the woman's role in the church would be to be equal or or to egalitarian would be the term that they use. Uh, You guys don't have to, there's not going to be a test on this after after it's over, but that is one of the, the... The views on this is that it's an egalitarian view and that that view is that men and women perform the same exact duties in the church that they are equal across the board that if a man can do it a a woman can do it and there's no difference between men and women whatsoever and everybody's just doing the the same exact thing that would be called the the egalitarian view and there's another view and this is where i stand because i believe this is where the bible stands the complementarian view Not that we are performing the same roles, but we were perform different roles in a in a way that complements each other. That men does his role and women that will do her role, and in and in performing or fulfilling those duties, we help each other, and and it's a stronger church. I think this is a a a complement one another role or helping each other. That men do some things and and women do other things. That men and women are equal but different in their roles. And those are the two views that we have. We're either equal or egalitarians, or we're complementarians. You're one or the other. And, and in our society today, it's, it's, it's obviously leaning towards the egalitarian view. Our society is becoming a, has this modern feminist movement that is, is more egalitarian. It started in society in the, in the 1960s with a, a feminist movement. And it's coming to our homes where now the man doesn't perform his role and the woman doesn't have her role and they both equally to have the same roles and that's not biblical. And it's crept into the church. We've bowed the knee in the church to the feminist movement. It's taking over the church, even conservative churches and conservative conventions. It's overrunning the Southern Baptist Convention. It's overrunning some of your most conservative churches that women are taking on the roles of men. It's popular, it's prevalent that you see women performing in men's roles. Even in our little town here, you can turn on Facebook sometimes and you can uh, flip to a church and and you'll stop there and you'll have women performing men's duties in the church. We're seeing it, it creep into all churches. So the question is, what do we do? With the feminist movement uh, taking over society and taking over the the home and and creeping into the church, what do we do as a church? Because I think the church is the last line of defense for this. What do we do? I'll tell you what we don't do. We don't ask feminists what they want us to do they will that's not where we turn we don't ask what's popular or trendy we don't care what politicians say we don't care what the universities say we don't care what the scholars say or what other churches do or what the commentaries tell us to do the only thing we're concerned about is what does the bible say that's all we want to know what does the bible say about this because the bible is timeless truth the bible is not out of line The Bible never goes out of date. and The Bible is never up to debate, so we just want to be faithful to the Bible. What does the Bible say about the woman's role within the church? And we will bow to whatever the the Bible says. We're not bowing to the feminists. We're not bowing to the culture. We're not bowing to to the universities. We are under the authority of the Bible, so we bow to whatever the Bible says on this issue. I think that's who we ought to be. We must be people who will do whatever the Bible says. If the Bible says it, we believe it and that's it. So what does the Bible say on this? And and I don't think that 1st Timothy couldn't be any more direct than what it is. We turn to the Bible and and this is as clear as day. And and honestly, it's not there's there's no middle ground on this. I'm not on the fence about this because the Bible's not on the fence about this. Paul isn't, Timothy isn't. This is very clear what the woman's role within the church is. So let's look at this. And I'm going to be careful and I'm going to be kind, but I want to be very, very, very clear on this. Here is the woman's role or the woman's place in the church. And you can stand wherever you want to stand, but I'm going to stand where the Bible stands. And our church is going to stand where the Bible stands, no matter what the culture says. So let's look at this. I'm going to work our way through this passage, and I've got three points for you i want to show you, number one, the way women dress. And you'll see it in verses 9 through 10 that women should dress modestly in the church. That's what it says. You can argue with me all you want, but that's what it says. Let's look at it. The way women dress in the church. Verse 8, I I just want to work our way through this. Verse 8, it says, again, I will therefore that men... That's the men's role. Here's your role, men. Here's what you're to do. Men, this is your job. You stand up in the church and you pray and you lift up holy hands and you don't have any wrath or any doubting. No bitterness, no no uh, no doubt. I want you to stand up in the church and I want you to pray. You be the praying people. And then we had a, a whole, I think, two sermons on praying in the church. Men, that's your job to pray in the church service. And then it says in women, verse 9, I even drew a line from men, you pray, down to women, here's what you do. Men, you have your place, and women, you have your place. So men, pray. Women, here you go. And why is he saying this? Why is he giving a, a long, uh, laid out verses on, on women? Because I think there's problems in the church that he has to deal with. Men were not praying like they should, and women were not dressing like they should. So he has to deal with it. Women, in like manner, here's what women must do. Here's how to dress. (laughs) In like manner also that women adorn themselves. There's the word adorn. The word adorn there would be cosmos, which would be cosmetics. It's how you put yourself together. It it comes from the word world, which when God put the, the world in place or ordered it, it was decent and orderly. It's how you put things together. So he's telling women how to prepare themselves, how to arrange themselves, how to... If I can say this, how to get ready? Here's how you adorn yourself. And again, I I think this is an issue in the church that women were not dressing like they should. I think you had women coming in and they were dressing in ways that were inappropriate. So Paul wrote to Timothy and told him to address it. And you know, this movement in the church today that how we dress doesn't really matter. I get it. What's on the inside of the cup matters more, but the outside of the cup matters also. If I'm going to drink a cup of coffee, the inside must be clean, but I'm not going to look at the outside of the cup and it's filthy and nasty and dirty and say only the inside matters. I think the inside's more important, but the outside is important too. So he's going to tell women how to dress here. And it says here, here's how you dress. I'm just going to go down this list. Women, here's how you get ready. Here's how you prepare yourself. Here's how you get yourself in order as you come to church. And this is, again, not out in society. This is how you walk into church. Here it is, in modesty. There's the word. In modest apparel. That's decent. That's You want to dress appropriately when you come to church. I think you can say you ought to dress appropriately even outside of church. But especially when you walk into church, you better be dressed modestly. You better have sobriety, which is self-control. You better have shamefacedness, which is you better be respectable when you come to church. It's like uh, I've, 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 I've never had to say it to my daughters. But when when you, when you see it in movies and things that a daughter walks out of the house and the dad says, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't let you dare walk out. You should be ashamed of yourself wearing something like that out there. That's what the word is. You need to be respectable when you come to church. John Chrysostom said this modest apparel is that which covers completely and, and covers decently. So it ought to be, that, he says that, that's how they ought to dress in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety. And then he says, here's what you shouldn't do. Here's the opposite of that. Here, if, they, if, if he just said, here's what you should do, here's what you can't do. Don't wear braided hair or gold or pearls or a costly array. That braided hair, they would take their hair and they'd twist it up. and It almost looked like a Christmas tree on top of their houses. The richest people would do that. And they would, they would cover themselves in gold and pearls and, and all these different jewels of the richest people in society. And they would walk in to church. And what this is talking about, I don't think it's telling you you can't braid your hair when you come to church. Or you can't wear gold when you come to church. Or you can't wear pearls when you come to church. Or you can't wear something costly when you come to church. These women were walking into church and they were dressing in, in such a way to draw attention to themselves. Purposely wanting to be seen. They were trying their best to distract from everything else that's going on in the church so that they could be seen. They would wear an elaborate display. They actually say that, that this, this way this was dressed, dressing, with braided hair, gold pearls, and costly array, would be the way that a prostitute dresses herself. They were walking into church to be seen like a prostitute walking down the street wanting to be seen by men. And these women were walking into church looking like that. The whole point would be to have all eyes on her and it would take the eyes off Christ. You can imagine the, the first century church that's full of poor, lowly people and some, a woman walks in with all these things on that all eyes would go to her. There's a reason that when the qualifications of a pastor <laughs> in, in chapter 3, just a few verses down, it says that the pastor ought to be a one-woman man. Which means he only has eyes for one woman. That means that these women were walking in parading themselves to be seen that the pastor's eyes should be the eyes that are straight ahead and not looking at women like that. He's only got eyes for one woman. So there were women parading themselves in the church with what would look like clothes of a prostitute to try to draw the attention from different men in the church so that they they may be single, they may have lost their husband and they're sitting there trying to find a husband in the church and dolling themselves up and drawing attention Away from Christ and to themselves. And he says, you, you don't do that. It would draw attention. It would cause trouble. It was putting on a show. They were flaunting their wealth and, and, and their bodies. They were tempting men and distracting people in the church. And he's saying, Don't you dare come to church dressed like that. When you come to church, you put yourself together. And I'll, I'll explain it here in a minute how you should dress. You put yourself together, and you be well suited for the act you are about to perform, which is the worship of the Almighty God. And I think we're seeing this in the church today. We have an over-sexualized culture that's bringing itself into the church, where people are way too easily flaunting their bodies. We see it. You say, "Do we see it in the church?" I don't doubt that you see women walking into church trying to draw attention of men. I don't doubt that you have people getting women getting dressed before they come to church, thinking how they can be more attractive to the people there instead of how they're going to dress in order to be properly dressed to worship God. I don't doubt that. We're seeing it in men today. I see pastors flaunting the way that they dress like a woman would. So we're seeing it. He doesn't give details. He's not specific on how they ought to dress, but he does give us verse 10, which is what I would tell my daughters, this is how you ought to get yourself ready for church. Verse 10 is the key to this. He says, again, not specific, but here's the principle. Here's the standard. Verse 10 is how a woman beautifies herself for church. You ready for this? Verse 10 says that when you come to church... That you ought to display, put on display, adorn yourself with, let people see this. Don't let them see your hair. And and again, the higher the hair, the, the, the more rich you were in those days. Again, you look at pictures, and it was like a, a Christmas tree on their head, and they'd wear the clothes, and they'd have these jewels, or, uh, gold wrapped around their bodies and around their waist, and anklets on their on their ankles, and they'd have nose rings. You, It was common in those days. The the, the finer the nose ring, the richer you were. They used nose rings as an engagement ring. A, A man would say, I want you to be my wife. And he'd hand him a nose ring. Can you imagine that? All kinds of jewelry. He says, that's not how you array yourself. That's not how you adorn yourself. Here's how you adorn yourself. Here's what you want people to see when you walk into church. Verse 10. You want people to see your godliness. And your good works. That's what it says. That which becometh women professing godliness with good works. The most beautiful women in the world are the most godly women in the world. When you walk into church, let people see how godly you are. When you walk into church, let people see how your good works before God. We don't have that in our culture. The most beautiful women in the world are the most godly women in the world. Not the the women with the most gold and jewels and and costly array, but the women with the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience. The women that come in, and and you you guys know that the some of the most beautiful women in the world are the godly elderly women in the churches who come in, and, and you see godly character. And good works all over them. Years of of godly character and good works. That's what he says. Adorn yourself with character. This is true beauty. This is what women ought to be after. This is is what we profess. That's what he's saying here. Dress like you profess. That's such a good quote. I made that up myself. Dress like you profess. So if you profess to be a Christian, don't you dress like a non-Christian. That would be hypocrisy. And you, and you see that. If you, if you profess to be a Christian, then you ought to dress like a Christian ought to dress. We're losing that in our culture. where We're saying today, it doesn't really matter how you dress. All that matters is your profession. But he's saying here, these two things must match each other. You must live out the profession that you have. Don't let your words say one thing and your wardrobe say another thing. We must dress what we profess. Now I think this ties into the rest of the passage in chapter 2, which is all about evangelism. Women, if you profess to be godly and you dress like a prostitute, you're not going to be a very good at getting people to come to church. You'll ruin your testimony and you'll ruin the testimony of the church. So here's how to dress. That wasn't too hard, was it? I think it's very simple. I want them, and I think this is good. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of this. I want my daughters to be like this. I want them to be modest, shamefaced, and, and serious about how they dress. I want them to, to have that which professes godliness and good works. That would be the most beautiful thing that my daughters and my wife could ever do, is to be like that. That's good for them. So there's how women dress in the church, modestly. Number two, how women learn in the church. Silently. Women dress in the church modestly. Women learn in the church silently. It couldn't be more clear. He says in verse 11, and just working our way through it verses 9 and 10, how they dress modestly. Verse 11 through 14, how they learn silently. And he'll say the word silently. Let me read it. And I want you to underline where it says silence. It says, let the women learn, and I'll stop there in just a second, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach or to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Twice there it says that women learn in silence. Silently. So it says there in verse 11, let the women learn, and I'm going to stop there. That's a big deal. That's why I said how women learn in the church, because in that day, women couldn't learn in the church. When men started teaching and getting into the the meat of the Word of God, the women were to leave the room. The Jews had their own place for women, that you guys had to be out there. You can show up, but don't you learn anything. You can listen, but don't learn. So women were left out on all those things. But here he says, I want women to learn. I want women to have full participation in the church. Bring women, sit with men, learn together. Women must be taught and women must be discipled, and women can know theology and doctrine just like men can. Teach women. I love that. That, That's a a great thing. But then he says, let them learn in silence. Do it quietly, do it humbly. That's what it says. I mean, I I can't, I like that. (laughs) Let the women learn in silence. Do it quietly, do it humbly, do it submissively. It says that with all subjection. With entire submission. With a teachable spirit. With gladness. Sit there and learn with a smile on your face. This is what God wants for you. Let the women learn in silence with all submission. That they will sit and learn in the church. Silently, submissively, and gladly. That's what it says. And then he says, verse 12, And I suffer not a woman to teach. That's what he says. I suffer not. I permit not a woman to teach. It's not her job. It's not her place. It's not her role. That's not what she's been called to do. And you'll hear that from women. I I can't help. God called me to do this, so I have to do it. Who are you to say that I can't preach if God called me to do it? I say God's not going to call you to do that which God has not designed for you to do. He's not going to call you to preach because he doesn't call women to preach. It says here, I suffer not a woman to teach. I permit not. I uh, allow not. I, I don't give permission for women to teach in the church. That's as clear as it can be. Do not teach. Women are not allowed to teach when the church gathers for worship. I think in that church, women were trying. They didn't want to sit and learn. They were trying to get up and to teach in the church. And Paul tells Timothy here, no, 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 no. You tell them to stop it. That's not their place. It's their role to sit and to learn silently and subjectively. Submissively. I think there's women trying to do it today. And it's our job, it was Timothy's job, to tell these women that it's not your place. And it's our job as pastors to say, that's not your place. That's not what you were made to do. You need to learn in silence. You need to learn submissively. God didn't call you to do that. That's not your place. That's not your role. Women like Beth Moore, that's not your role not your place Joyce Meyer that's not your place that's not your role that's not what God's designed you to do there's no flexibility on this at all it's not your place to teach in the church or and he gives us another one here or to have authority in the church which means to lead it's not a woman's place to teach preach in the church or To have authority in the church. To lead. That's what it says. To usurp authority. Usurp would be to take over the church. To lead. To not have place of authority over over men. It's not a God-given role. Just like it's not a... A fish isn't designed to live on land. And a bird isn't designed to live in the water. A woman isn't designed to lead in a church just not how God's designed it it's the role her role to submit to authority not to be an authority I suffer not a woman to teach or to have authority over a man but again to be in silence there's nothing I taught on that in Sunday school this morning there's nothing wrong with submission at all it's one of the great words of the Bible and for some reason we hate submission in our culture submission is a good thing We do it by God's design. Every single one of us submit in some way. Every one of us do. We submit. If you're here tonight and you're saved, you are submitting yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's submission on your part. You submit. You do whatever He tells you to do. I am bowing down, bowing the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll have, well, I'll do whatever you'd have me to do. That's what Paul did in Acts chapter 9. He said, Wh- Whatever you'd have me to do, wherever you'd have me to go, what would you have me to do, Lord? And he did. And worse so if we're saved, we're doing the same thing. Whatever you'd have me to do. And how does he tell us what he'd have us to do? But by his word. So we're under, we're, we're submitting ourselves to Christ by his word. Whatever it says, I'm going to believe. Whatever it says, I'm going to do. I'm submitting to this. And any woman who usurps authority in the church and tries to preach in the church is not fully submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. She's rebelling against the Word of God. We submit. We submit to Christ. We submit to our government. Romans chapter 13. Women submit to, wives submit to their husbands. Children submit to their parents. Employees submit to their employers. We do it all the time. God has a design, He has roles for all of us to play, and it's our job to submit where God tells us to submit. So, women are not to, and and I say that, it's no permission, not allowed to teach in the church, preach in the church, or to lead in the church. And I mean that officially. You go to a lot of websites for churches and it'll say, husband and wife, pastors. No, not allowed. You go to some websites and it'll have pastor man and associate pastor woman. No, 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 not allowed. Not allowed. No leadership in the church. That's what it says. So women are not allowed to lead officially in the church. And I'll say this, because there's not a lot in our circles, there's not a lot of women that do lead in the church or preach in the church officially. But there are some women who try to lead unofficially. That they're behind the scenes ruling the men in the church like they're pulling the strings of the pulpit. The men are doing whatever the women tell them to do. They're not to lead officially or unofficially. Men lead and men teach in the church. And I'll give you the reason why right now. You say, "Why is that, Josh? That's not right. <laughs> let me give you the reasons. Well let me say this to start with. Women can do so many other things in the church. For me, it's like Eve, Adam and Eve in the garden. You can have this whole garden. Let's say one tree. Don't go there. Don't move. Don't go there. Whole garden. I mean, it's paradise, and you can walk with God. It's the greatest thing ever. But don't touch that tree. And which is the one tree that Eve wanted to go to? The one she was told not to touch. Women can do all kinds of things in the church. All kinds of things. Women are as valuable to the church as men are to the church. They can do all kinds of things. I even listed some of them. They can learn in the church. They can talk in church. That silence doesn't mean they can't talk in church. It means they can't speak up and and be loud and preach. They can talk in the church. They can ask questions in the church. They can serve in the church. They can teach other women in the church. They can teach kids in the church. They can be hospitable in the church. They can serve, uh, do all kinds of activities in the church. I mean there's, there's all kinds of things. They're, they're free to do all kinds of things that God's called them to do. But a lot of women want the one thing that God told them they can't do. There's one thing God said you can't do. You know there's one thing that God said men can't do? I'll get ready to tell you what it is. There's one thing women can't do in the church. You can do a hundred other things, but don't do that. And men, you can do all kinds of things, but you can't do this one thing. I'll tell you what it is in just a second. They want to do the the one thing God said they can't, can't do. So don't let them. And here's the reason why. Verse 13, for. And if I were you, I would circle that word for. Here's the because. For somebody out there saying, that's not fair. That's not right. Paul doesn't just say, do it because I said so. He says, here's the reason why. But, or for, Adam was first formed and then Eve. So he says here, this is by God's design. This is how God designed it. From creation, Adam was made first, and Eve was made to be his helper. Adam was made to lead, and Eve was made to help. They were hand in hand to to go together, and and I've said that about my wife, she is my helpmate. I, I couldn't do life, live life, without my wife. We go hand in hand together. By myself, I'm no good. I need a, a helpmate. Same thing with Adam. By himself, he couldn't do it. He was, he was lonely and and he couldn't do the things that God had called him to do. He needed somebody to help him. So out of the, the, out of Adam came Eve, a helper. Out of Ish came Esha. Out of man came woman. To be a helper to Adam. So it's by design. God made men one way and women another way. It's God's design and role for men and women. And for people out there that would say, Oh no, this is is just for this church and and this time. It's not for every church in all time. Paul says it's by God's design for every church in every time all throughout time. This is how God designed it. And I have, I've had people tell me that. Oh, no, 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 no. There was, uh, this, this was only two one church at one time in 64 AD. That's not for today. We're more progressive than that. It's God's design, and it will always be God's design. He gives us the rule here. This isn't cultural. This isn't one church. This is a creative order. For all time. And everybody has followed this until the 1960s. The feminist movement started to question these things. They weren't happy with it in the culture. They wasn't happy with it in the, in the family. They now want it to be in the church. We stand where the Bible stands. And I'll say this, I've never heard Beth Moore preach this passage. Beth Moore can't preach this passage. Second reason. 13 was by creative design. God designed it this way. So we'll say the first reason is God's design. And second reason was because of Eve's deception. It was designed this way before the fall. And then Eve fell, it says there. And then Adam was not the one that was deceived. But who was the one that was deceived? It was the woman. Ish and Man was not the one deceived, but it was Isha, The one that God gave him was the one that, that was deceived. She was the one in transgression. Eve was created second and she sinned first. So what does that mean? I believe that he gives us the order here. that it, When the order is, it gets out of hand, which is what happened with Adam and Eve, that, that Eve stepped out away from the protection of her husband and tried to do something she shouldn't do, and that's what got her in trouble. When the, when the roles are reversed, everything falls apart. Eve stepped outside of God's design and she was deceived. It's dangerous to do that. This is good for women to be in God's order and design. If Eve had stayed where she should have stayed and if Adam had protected like he should have protected, then the world wouldn't have fallen into sin. But she stepped out. She was unprotected. Satan attacked. This is good for women. These roles are good for the church. These roles are good for society. Do you understand that when we twist these roles? Here's some of the things that happen when you twist the roles of men and women. And it's happening in our society and it's snowballed from 1960 until today. When these roles are twisted... What's what happens? There's more divorce, there's more remarriage, there's more adultery, more premarital sex, more extramarital sex, more abortions, more abandoned kids, more sex abuse, on and on and on and on. These things are all caused by twisting the the order of God's design. So God's design for a man and a woman we see what happened in verse 14 is good for us. It's a protection for us. It's a grace for us. We do it because it's God's design for us but we also do it because it is the best thing for us to be in God's created design. It's good for the church to have men in their roles and women in their roles. It's the best way. It's not just the only way. It's the best way. Last point. The way women dress modestly was the first point. The way women learn silently was the second point. And number three, the way women can make a difference. And that is motherly. You know the one thing that men cannot do? I'm going to give it to you right now. There's one thing that that women can't do. Preach and have authority in the church. And there's one thing that men can't do, no matter what the culture wants to say, men cannot have babies. We all should have said amen to that one. No matter what they say, men can't have children. That's the one thing that men cannot, no matter what the culture says, we cannot do. No man will ever have a baby. And it says here in verse 15, notwithstanding... She shall be saved in childbearing. You see that? In motherhood. By being motherly. By being a faithful mother. And that's what it says. She shall be saved. It's not that she shall be saved from her sin by being a mother. But she shall, and I want you to get this, she shall be redeemed. She shall get a second chance. She will redeem herself. And for what she did in verse 14, which was being deceived, now she can bring it all back by doing this one thing in verse fifteen, understand that if, if women were left in verse fourteen, that women were deceived and brought the world into sin, it would be a bad look for women. We could always throw it up to the women. Wow, it's your fault we sin. Get in a fight and say, at least, I, at least my, my my gender didn't eat the fruit. You know, I mean, it, it, that's that's what it's, it's verse fourteen leaves women in a, in a bad place. This could be bad. You could look down on them. Look what look what you did. But verse 15 is a way for women to save, redeem themselves, to make a huge difference. How? By childbearing. Not save spiritually, but to redeem herself through motherhood. By having children. The one thing that man cannot do is have children. Would you imagine if men could have children? I don't want to imagine it. Men can't. Men won't. Women can. And they will. And they will redeem themselves. By being good mothers. By having children. And by living a life. Look what it says. Of faith and love and holiness. And sobriety. You do that by raising children to do the same. Women have a greater impact than anybody in the entire world through raising godly children. You want to make a huge difference in the world? Raise you some godly kids. I can stand up here and I can preach. Yeah. I can lead a church. Yeah. But I cannot do what women do in raising kids and being in the family. I can't do that role. Only women can do that. And that's what he's saying here. The biggest difference, not the only difference, I want to make sure I qualify that, it's not the only thing women can do, but I think it is the best thing that women can do and the biggest difference that they can make is by raising godly children. The highest, the best, the most fulfilling calling of a woman's life is to raise godly children. And it's almost here, you can reverse the curse through raising godly kids. You brought the world into sin through deception and stepping outside your role. But if you'll stay in your role, you can reverse it all by bringing godly seeds into the world. This is a unique role. This is a unique responsibility. I'm going to say it again. I can stand up here and preach and I can lead. But moms raise godly kids that change the world. Moms raise men like Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon would give credit to his faith and his ministry to a praying mother. Not to a preacher, but to his mom. Wow! Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, comes from a a praying, godly, faithful, holy, loving, serious mother. John and Charles Wesley would say the same thing. They said, which one is the greatest out of, out of all of you? Because he, he had hymn writers and, and preachers that had great men in the Wesley family. And they said, who gets credit for all that? And said, it goes back to my mom. Athletes, when they get the camera on them, they never say, hey, dad. They say, hey, mom. Jesus came from a godly mother. Did Mary not make the biggest difference in the entire world by giving us a Savior? Wow. I'm standing up here today as a product of my mom. What a difference she made. And you'd never know it, would you? Because she sits silently in a pew and she learns. But she's got a boy up here that's preaching and leading a church. What a difference you've made. What a difference. You want to make a difference in the world? And you've got this culture today that says you have to climb the ladder and bust the glass ceiling and you have to do everything that men do. But you can make a greater difference in the world by raising godly kids than you can doing anything else. You want to, you want to know what, what it was, making the biggest impact in the world? Godly mothers. And there's a reason why the women's liberation movement, feminism... It's trying to get women out of the home and away from their kids because they know that women make the biggest impact on their kids. And if they can pull women outside their role, doing things they shouldn't be doing, that they're going to leave kids to be raised by somebody who's not going to raise them to be godly. There's a reason there's an attack on women today. That women's liberation, the feminist movement, is an ungodly and I would say satanic movement. Trying to destroy not women, but the next generation that the women will be raising. Children are a blessing and this feminist movement are telling women that children are a burden. That that children, and, and you hear this all the time, that children should be held off until you can accomplish all your goals in life. That children will hold me back. I heard an actress say, or a singer the other day, I can't remember who it was, famous singer. Must not be famous enough for me to even remember her. If I thought about it, I might be able to remember who it is. But she said, my music would have never been where it's at if I hadn't had an abortion early on in life. Because I would have had this kid and I would have had to carry the kid around and and take care of the kid. And I I would have had this burden on me and I would have never been able to give the world some music that I can't even tell you what it is. Children are a burden. That's what this feminist movement is telling everybody. Children are not a burden. They are a blessing. And motherhood is the greatest blessing in all the world. That's what he says in verse 15. This This is what you can do. Don't be free and independent and and break a glass ceiling. Raise the next generation of godly men and women. Killing babies for a job. Leaving kids without any teaching or training. It's destroying the world. It's destroying our culture. It's destroying our churches. And it's destroying our homes. There's nothing like a godly mother praying for children. Leading children, teaching children. There's nothing more valuable in all the world. So just as a woman led us into the fall by stepping out of God's design, he says here in verse 15, women can fix their fatal mistake by living in God's design. You understand that? The woman was deceived by stepping outside of God's role and brought the whole world into sin. And the, women, the woman now can reverse all that by just living according to God's design. So I pray for more women and for more men living submissive lives to God and His Word. What a testimony to our culture. If we had a church here full of people who were living according to God's design. That we're not living according to the culture, but we're living according to the Word of God. That's a testimony. There's power in that. And, I, and again, I think this, this, this whole passage in chapter 2 is about evangelism. And, and, and what, what this says to our culture. That we're, we are submissive to the Word of God. That our dress matches what we profess. That our roles are exactly the way God says that we're not bowing down to feminist movements. That's a powerful testimony to the world. When people see our church, they may call us names and they may hear the sermon and say all kinds of things, but they can't say we're not submissive to the word of God. And they can't say, boys, they really practice what they preach. That's a testimony. And I'll say this, I am thankful for the women in my life. Who do exactly these things. I'm thankful for my wife. She's as godly a mother as you'll ever find. To five kids who love her with all their heart. And I'll tell you this. There's no women's lib, college educated feminists out there who's any smarter than my wife. She could sit down with you right now and she could talk about all the things of theology that anybody else would want to talk about. She could have a conversation with, with men who have doctorate degrees in theology. She could talk about the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. She could talk about all the, all the, the all the different types of theology out there. I mean, nobody understands the Bible like my wife does. I mean, she, and she sits and she submits and she sits in silence and she learns. I'm thankful for my wife and, and, and the way she's been raising my three daughters to be just exactly like her. I'm thankful for my mom who's a model of a godly mother who sits in silence and learns. I'm thankful for my three daughters who are going to be just like their, their mom. I'm thankful for my sisters and my aunts and my, my grandma who is, boy, she was boy, she was a fireball of a woman. But she fulfilled her role. I'm thankful for the women in this church. I think we got some of the most godly women sitting in the pews of this this church that you could ever find. Nobody trying to usurp authority, nobody trying to step outside their roles. Just sitting silently and submissively and joyfully, listening to the word of God and serving the church, being good mothers. Man, anybody who would say anything about our church, they just don't know the women in this church. And and I look around here tonight and I I, can look at the women and I say, none of you guys are miserable, right? Because that's what they would say. Oh, you're just keeping them under your thumb. (laughs) Yeah, we are, yeah. These are in this church and in my family, my mom and and my daughters and my wife and my sisters and and all the women in our church. uh, Again, some of the most godly women you could ever find are in the pews of West End Baptist Church. And I believe, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, you're also some of the happiest women in, in all the world. In your role, I believe you're the you're the most peaceful. Because I believe this, if you follow your role, women and men, you'll have the greatest peace in the world. You'll be as happier than anybody in the world. Why is it? And I'm going to keep. I'm running out of time. Why is it that some of these feminists? are some of the most angry and hateful and mean and miserable women in all the world. They're mad all the time. Always protesting something. But women in their role in the church are as happy and joyful as anybody you'll ever find. They're at peace. They're, they're fulfilled. They're safe. They're blessed. That's the women in this church. I never have any women and maybe. Maybe you do, but you never do it to me. You come and complain. I don't like my role. I'm not happy. It's not right. No. It's just, just everything is, is as it should be. The way God designed it to be. So here it is. The woman's role in the church. The woman's place in the church. I don't, I don't think it could be any more clear than what it is. And I see a lot of people that will apologize for this. I said it at the outset. They said, this is what it says. This ain't me. This is the Bible. I don't like it a whole lot, but we have to submit to it. That's not me. I love every word of this, and I was happy to preach this tonight because it is good for our church and for the women in our church. I'm not apologizing for it. I love it. And then there are other people who will preach this, and it's just hammering away and mean and hateful and mad. Women, submit. You know, that's not me either. This is good for us. God wants us. Desires for us to be a church. That is decent and in order. In the way he's laid it out to be. And we're preaching it. So that we'll follow the design and the order. This is what we want to be. We want to be. I wrote it down in the very first thing I said tonight. That we want to be. What God wants us to be. And this is what God wants us to be. So we will Submit to this and follow this and love this with a smile on our face because we know it's God's design and God wouldn't design anything that ain't good for us. It's good for us. So we love it and we'll follow it no matter what the culture says and universities say and, and the critics say and the commentaries say. We follow what the Bible says. And the Bible says this is, men you stand and you pray. Women you sit and you learn. Make sure you're dressed modestly. And boy, you've got a role to fulfill and nobody else can do. You do that. And you'll make a bigger difference than that loudmouth preacher behind the pulpit anyway. So this is the women's place in the church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time of your word tonight. I love this passage. I love working my way through it and trying to understand it. It, it was clear, it was simple to me. And I pray that, it was, that, that my tone was right and my heart was right. I pray that my daughters can be in this role and place. This is good for them. I pray that, that the women in this church would be in this role. And I pray, God, that men would be in their role. Sometimes women try to step outside their role because men aren't fulfilling their role. So I pray that men would do what they're supposed to do and that women would do what they're supposed to do and that we would be a church that honors you. Because really, that's all we want. We want to do what pleases you. And this pleases you. Thank you for this time in your word tonight. Thank you for the people that showed up to listen. That sit quietly in the pews, joyfully, listening to your word. There's really no greater blessing in the world than to sit and to hear from your word, which we believe is hearing from from you, God. That we hear from thus saith the word of God. Thank you for that. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.